Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 41 of the 2QB Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. I'm on Twitter at GregSauce. And before we get to this episode's special guest, I want to give you all a reminder to review and rate the podcast for a chance to win your copy of the 2017 2QBs.com draft guide. This is a draft guide dedicated to two quarterback and superflex fantasy, the first of its kind. One reviewer will also win an entry into the Scott Fishbowl. We have one of those to give away, and uh, you'll hear us talk more about that later in the episode. One other way to get into the Scott Fishbowl via 2QBs is to get in through Sal Stefanile's giveaway contest. He is giving away his own spot in the tournament, and you can enter for a chance to win. It's really easy. All you have to do is make a small donation, $5 or more, to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That's at NCADV on Twitter. Send uh, your screenshot to us at 2QBs on Twitter or 2QBs at gmail.com. And you got to spell that out, T-W-O-Q-B-S, for a chance to win Sal's spot. And with all that out of the way, I'm excited to introduce uh, Sigmund Bloom at Sigmund Bloom on Twitter at footballguys.com. He's this week's guest. How's it going, Sigmund? Thanks for joining me. Great. Uh, folks, we'll have to apologize. I'll have to apologize. If you've been listening to my podcast appearances over the last couple weeks, you know that part of my brain, good part of my brain is with the penguins as we record actually but it also helps my brain relax to be talking to good people like you about fantasy football and football and everything and i'm really excited to be on this site you know i've i've loved what sal has been doing for a long time and i think that two quarterbacks stands for fantasy football always evolving always being responsive to what's happening in the game and continuing to make it more interesting to making it uh the strategy richer uh the puzzle more interesting to solve and uh, I'm, I'm just really happy to participate in anything to do with uh with sal's site and and with what you all are doing yeah well we really appreciate you coming on sal is is one of the best and he, he was instrumental in, in getting giving me the confidence to invite you onto the podcast so um thanks to sal and, and glad to have you on um I kind of want to jump right in. I mean, I know you got your kind of background tuned into the Pens game, and 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 you you can chime in on that whenever you want. But um, I want to talk a little bit about the Scott Fishbowl. I know that you've played in this. Um, you were you how many years have you been doing this, the SFB? You know what's funny is this. I only did it for the first time last year. I saw it every year and was envious and wanted to be part of it. Um, and wanted to be part of the talk about it. And I I, I always had a sort of a rigid rule. I had probably five or six more leagues than I should have had anyway. And then mm-hmm. finally last year, I did the very difficult thing of pairing away. And I mean, I'm, I'm talking about having, you know, 17, 18 dynasty leagues plus redrafts and things like that, that I, I needed to pair down to about 10. And I finally got into the fishbowl because I felt like I was being left out. And it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And it, it's one of the more lasting things in the fantasy football world. And it stands for, as we were talking about before we uh, came on the air here, the community. And it's a beautiful community to be part of. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I'm surprised you've only been in it the one year. You and I have the the same track record here. Now I, I feel like I'm on equal footing. I've, I've, yeah. I, I still, um, yeah, I want to know what you think about these new scoring sure. settings, though. I love that Scott changes this every year. We get you know a fresh perspective and a, and a fresh way to analyze the format every time. He got rid of the the points per carry that we were using last year. And we're getting points for first downs this year. And this is something that I had never really delved into with respect to fantasy is how many first downs do running backs get versus wide receivers versus tight ends, yada, yada. Just to give the listeners a, a little background here, running backs and wide receivers or quarterbacks when they rush the ball, I suppose, will receive one point per first down. And tight ends, when they get a first down, will receive two and a half points. And I did, uh, I clarified something with Scott as well where Every touchdown that a player scores is technically considered a first down as well. So, so those will also give you a point, which is why if you look at the scoring settings, wide receivers and running backs only get five per TD instead of six. But what do you think about this, this first down centric scoring system, Sig? Well, much like two quarterbacks, um, it stands for being on the cutting edge of fantasy football, being responsive, uh, not just sitting on our laurels because it, it is all a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a PPR purist, okay? There are some folks in the industry that rail against PPR. I don't think there's anybody who really goes to the mat for PPR. 
but there are people that hate PPR. And I've been doing this long enough that I remember when PPR was still relatively new. This is why we call non-PPR standard sometimes. Right. Depending on when you start playing fantasy football, you might say standard PPR. Um, but most of the times people say standard, they mean non-PPR. And that was what led to stud running back. And then running back by committee came along. And then pass attempts started going up. Run pass ratios started tilting more to passing. And PPR, which was put in to equalize wide receivers and tight ends to an extent, because the first few rounds of drafts back in the day were boring. It was just get your two running backs, which two yeah. running backs are you going to get. It was kind of based on your draft slot. And then uh, PPR, much like two quarterback, added in these new layers of strategy. It, it added in much tougher decisions from the first round on. But because pass attempts have gone up, because pass catchers go deeper to be fantasy relevant now like three some offenses can support three or four guys that are fantasy relevant with ppr scoring because it so greatly weights the value of pass catching running backs we were also there's a lot more running backs that are used primarily in that role now you have tilted it too much and, and maybe the puzzle isn't that much fun anymore uh first down i think some people would argue and another thing about fantasy football is we want it to always be mapping to real contributions you know this is something I, 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 I I quasi agree with you there. There I, I take offense to that in, with some respects to fantasy because there are some aspects of the game that are never going to be like real football, right? No. Um, but but yeah, please continue. Yeah, well, and the thing is, no, and I and I'm with you. I mean, in the sense that a touchdown in the fourth quarter, Blake Bortles, and a touchdown <laughs> in the first quarter when you're like up 14, down 14. You know, they're not all created equal in football terms, but in fantasy football, they are. So we adjust for that. We adjust for all these things, and we've adjusted for PPR, and there's been some good solutions. I personally like the .5 for running backs, one for wide receivers, 1.5 for tight ends. I think that helps offset it a bit. But going to this first down-centric system, um, some might argue that a first down, getting the ball past the sticks, is more important than just merely catching the ball, which you get that point for even if you're thrown for a three-yard loss. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do find it interesting, and I wonder if this is something that's based on the league software, that quarterbacks don't get credit for the first down if they throw the ball for the first down because they do get credit for the two-point conversion. But again, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. You just learn what the scoring system is, and, and you roll with it and you strategize for it. Um, I, of course, love giving extra value to tight ends. Any, anything, you know, my favorite kind of league right now that I've been doing, I just did another startup, a 16-team version, are leagues, IDP leagues, full IDP, where defensive tackles, defensive ends, cornerback safeties are scored for their uh, big plays in a way that makes it a difficult decision, even, the, even in the first or second round. Or if you have the first overall pick, you might have to think, do I take J.J. Watt or, or David mm -hmm. Johnson? You know, Anything that makes you have to think harder about your choices, anything that introduces more unpredictability into the draft... Uh, it, I think is fantastic. And I I just am uh, thankful that Scott is staying one step ahead. He's not waiting for other people to do this. He's doing it. He's the vanguard. And it gives us a wonderful laboratory to try things out and see what happens. Yeah, it's abs that's absolutely right. I love how he prevents these things from getting stale. Like you talked about before with, you know, back in the day, it was running back, running back. Everybody was doing it. And after a while, that takes away strategy of the early rounds and that's just not as fun. That's like you said, where two quarterback comes from. I mean, or, or it's two quarterback is kind of a response to that. Right. I mean, it's a response to other things as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the prolific passing offenses that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get into that. Uh, we talk about that stuff all the time. Uh, but for, in terms of SFB, the, this point per first down and two and a half for tight ends is great because it, it creates that vacuum of analysis for exactly how certain teams accrue their first downs. We're talking about, you know, pass versus run and then position versus position, you know, wide receivers who work certain areas of the field, uh, you know, those guys who are going to go 10 yards deep on first down. Um, and then those running backs who get short and in intermediate yardage work, the guys who are going to pick up those cheap and easy first downs and, and, to be able to or to to force us to look at that stuff and, and consider that is cool because there isn't you know you can't just go to any fantasy site like ESPN Yahoo Football Guys Two QBs .com and find that data you have to work for it you have to apply your own strategy to that and that's that's really cool um, I'm wondering what you think about this in terms of how to value players um, how about the guys who contribute first downs in multiple ways yeah. like satellite backs your you know your James White types. Um, 
do you see those guys being more or less valuable with these these first down uh, points being awarded? Well, I would say on a real simple level, and I haven't started to go through the numbers yet. I haven't started to uh, alter my draft strategy for the fishbowl uh, on this, but it sure seems intuitive to say that this scoring system, and this is why, you know, Greg, five or ten years from now, we might be talking about point per first down like we talk about point per reception. Absolutely. Because because doesn't it just seem like it will make good players worth more, you know, players that players that make important plays for their team? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, a, a running back who goes in and gets one yard, but the defense knows that the offense is trying to get that one yard in a, in a third and short or a fourth right. and short for that matter. So yeah, we should be rewarding that stuff because those are important, crucial plays in a game. And, and I love that. I It would be awesome if, you know, the Scott Fishbowl was the genesis of this point per first down revolution in fantasy football. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I'm looking forward no. to it. Any anything else you want to talk about with regards to the Scott Fishbowl? Because we we got a lot to get to here, and um, I, I do want to warn you about one of the the guys in your division. Yeah. I, I looked this up. You've got Brian sure. Smith. He's a longtime listener, mm-hmm. knows his stuff when it comes to two QB. I'm I'm going to be rooting for him. So, so <laughs> keep yeah, your well, eyes out for Brian. I would just say for for Brian, everyone else in my division, don't assume that I there's a method to my madness. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll probably be making it up as I go along, but I do know that in the Scott Fishbowl, because of the nature of like the super bracket that you're part of, that it's mm-hmm. best. To, and this it, it, for me is like uh, it's just so natural to try an a, an outlier strategy, to try a strategy that is not standard, that is not playing it safe, that is not playing the percentages uh but instead you know like you would if you were in a high stakes contest where you were trying to make it to the final bracket out of your division and then be the best of of, of those teams where you, you want you want something where it could all go terribly wrong but if you get it all right it could be beautiful yeah definitely i love the strategies that help you like plan for like like playing for the playoffs more than playing for the regular season which yes. is kind of contrary flips you know regular seasonal fantasy on its head a little bit where you kind of just want to make the playoffs and hope you get lucky. This is the opposite. You want your team to go bananas in the playoffs. And so you, you're looking at things like schedules in those final three or four weeks of the season. You're looking at um, potentially stacking players and uh, targeting guys who may not have jobs to start the year because you think they're going to get them down the road um, or planning for injuries as well. It's it's very interesting. It's always fun. Um, but let's move on. I want to talk about a couple articles you have written recently and – the first is your uh, your Bloom 100. You got a post draft update on that, and these are rookie rankings that include IDP players. And you know, just as an aside, we've talked about this already, but one of the things I love most about fantasy is finding and experimenting with all these different niche formats. And you know, I'm on Team Two QBs, but I really do appreciate that IDP exists, even if it does if it doesn't appeal to me quite as much as something like Two QB would. I, I think that it's it's awesome that you know this stuff is out there and that everybody can find that type of league that really jives with their football sensibilities. But you should all check out uh, Sig's Bloom 100. I will put a link to that in the show notes. But in terms of Superflex, you say you're not especially experienced with the format. Just at, at a base level, your gut reaction, yeah. how much higher would you move up your quarterbacks in, in your 100 um, for 2QB or Superflex? Yeah, and it would be significant, very significant. And, I, and let me say, like, I, I, I want more. This is my um, – maybe this is where I would solicit, you know, to get into another two-quarterback or Superflex dynasty league. Uh, be, because I'm an enthusiast and I've been a supporter of the format, I just – you only have so much time and so many resources, mental resources to devote to things. I think that – in this class, uh, you know, running backs are go- always going to be truly the premium, and those top four running backs will always be at the top of the board. Mm-hmm. And Corey Davis also. Corey Davis isn't going to be a Julio Jones or A.J. Green, but he could easily be in that low wide receiver one tier for a long time. Uh, after that, I'm not going to quibble with taking, um, you know, a Pat Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson over any other rookie on the board as high as six. Uh, I think that in two quarterback or super flex leagues, uh, in super flex leagues, you always want to be flexing a quarterback. In two quarterback leagues, uh, it's it's a tightrope act because people are very aggressive about preemptive pickups, about yes. being two or three steps ahead of where there might be quarterback opportunity. And in my experience, and now I now, I've done a two quarterback league, but also was a two quarterback league with two tight ends and with full IDPs and IDP heavy scoring. Uh, Robert Wright 
did it. It was it was insane. It was like this is your draft. This is your draft <laughs> on drugs. Kind of like this. I mean, it got me ready for the Scott Fish Bowl in the sense that you can't plan what other people are going to do. You never know what other people are going to do. You have to have clarity about the players you think are good players that are going to outperform expectations regardless of position. And I think that that at addition to strategy really helps you focus. Uh, and in, in this case, I think that there's an argument for any of the top four quarterbacks to go in the first round of a super flex two quarterback dynasty rookie draft. Uh, I think all of them project, I, and we'll talk a little more about Deshaun Kaiser. You know, I think they all project as starters. I think we have at least two, if not three out of the four with excellent running ability. Uh, and the, and the one who does, isn't an outstanding runner is paired up with Andy Reed. So we can paint a pretty rosy picture, maybe not approaching Tom Brady, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers levels, but fitting into that next tier, like where Matt Ryan found himself last year. I think a best case scenario for these guys, especially when you add in rushing stats, uh, this is an excellent class uh, as far as fantasy potential and also as far as opportunity this year or next year. Yeah, the landing spots were good. We, we talked a lot in the last episode with um, Josh Lake and Sal about how there are things to like about all these quarterbacks. And, and I like that you echoed that sentiment um kind of circling back to what you were talking about just in, in terms of valuing these guys higher i think that dynasty specifically assigns more value to the quarterback position because not only what you talked about with um you know those preemptive pickups but also just the longevity of these players like they're going to last longer than some of the running backs that are, are going ahead of them in, in one quarterback formats there is something to be said about that um deshaun kaiser you, you threw his name out and i wanted to kind of pick your brain on him because contrary to the consensus you know when you look at most people's dynasty rankings you have him ranked ahead of both Mitchell Trubisky and Pat Mahomes do you see him winning that job early or or is this something uh, more of a slow burn where he's gonna maybe get some starts towards the end of the year I see him winning that job well I see so here's what I think will inform Cleveland here okay Mm -hmm. Cody Kessler is not going to play in such a way to make them feel like they found an answer. He, he may eventually play up to a level where they feel like, wow, we've got a, a good backup who is a fringe-level starter, which considering you, you in the NFL draft, if what did they spend, a third-round, late third-round pick? Look at who quarterbacks who've gone in the third round historically. If you can turn a third-round pick into a good backup quarterback, remember, backup quarterbacks in the NFL make as much as starters at many other positions. So even from a fiscal financial point of view, They've done well with Cody Kessler. They've done well with that pick. They were laughed at. But Deshaun Kaiser offers so much more. And Deshaun Kaiser, from a raw tools standpoint, and also because of how young he is, offers the highest ceiling in this class. Uh, you also have Deshaun Kaiser's main issue. Uh, you'd hear the refrain over and over again, oh, if it was his freshman year tape, he's the number one quarterback in this class. He's maybe the number one overall pick in this class. Yeah. Sophomore tape, yeah. You know, you heard a lot of stuff about um, his coach undermining him a bit, playing games, maybe looking over his shoulder to be replaced, sometimes actually being replaced. And confidence. Hugh Jackson is an eternal optimist, and I think that this is a good pairing. I think that Hugh Jackson also, for the most part, gets more out of his quarterbacks than what's there. He 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 amplifies the the value of the offense he coaches even if it's a low value offense he makes it a mid-level offense mm-hmm. Deshaun Kaiser will have Corey Coleman Kenny Britt uh, David Joku eventually uh, coming into his form we'll see about Josh Gordon He's got a, and this is something that was also commonly brought up before this draft this year's Dak Prescott who's this year's Dak Prescott what why was Dak Prescott Dak Prescott other than the things about himself his offensive line and his offensive line. And Cleveland, this year, they got J.C. Treader, They got Kevin Zeitler. They locked up Joel Batonio. They also still have Joe Thomas. And we'll see if Cam Irving, a from, former first-rounder, can work out at right tackle. But So Deshaun Kaiser is going to go in with a good offensive line, a, a solid running game with Isaiah Crowell, a good receiving back, and Duke Johnson. He's got a lot around him to set him up for success. He's got a coach that I think will be able to take on the task of rebuilding his confidence at some point this year. Also, they want to see what they have in Kaiser because they need to know whether they need to spend a high first-round pick next year on a quarterback. So I think they will be encouraged once the season is out of hand to play Kaiser. Uh, From a fantasy standpoint, Kaiser's got a huge arm. Uh, He keeps the whole field in play. He's 
very mobile. And unlike Deshaun Watson, his running ability, I believe, will play more of a role in the NFL and fantasy leagues because he's big. He's got more Dante Culpepper running ability where or, or Cam Newton, where you're not thinking about the most important commodity on the team, the quarterback, being in harm's way. If anything, uh, you're worried, you're thinking that the, the poor you know safety or cornerback who has to try to tackle him is, is, is the problem. So I, I think that this all adds up to Kaiser having the same basic opportunity despite being a second-round pick as the first-round pick quarterbacks. Perhaps the first-round pick quarterbacks will get more opportunities to fail, but whether they fail or succeed is not going to be based on whether they were a first- or second-round quarterback. So, you know, give if Pat Mahomes is going to fail, give him one chance to fail or five chances to fail, and he's going to fail. And if he's going to succeed, he's going to succeed. And that's how... And, and look, pre-draft, as a confession, Kaiser was my number one quarterback. So I, I think that they're all going to get a chance to show what they can do on an NFL field. He's got a good situation. He's He's got a, a good fit as far as the coaching staff that he's with. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I, I think that he could end up being... One of those players that makes your draft in these two quarterback super flex leagues if people let him fall into the second and third round. Yeah, it, that and that battle with Kessler is, is very interesting. I It reminds me, and I don't want to compare the players here, but the situation kind of reminds me of back when the 49ers had both yes. Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. Yes. Where, yes, you can get by with Alex Smith as your starting QB, and he may, you know, deliver you a playoff season, but is he does he give you that ceiling, that extra oomph to kind of take your team to the next level? And that's what they're going for with Kaiser. That's what their fingers are crossed for, right? And the only way to find out is to play him. Um, they're probably not making the playoffs this year anyway, so I, I, I like where your analysis is at on this. I think that most of these rookie quarterbacks with – I guess, ironically, the exception of Mahomes behind Alex Smith is that uh, I think all these guys are going to get a shot in year one. Um, I think that, that you'd have to have a pretty bad situation in Kansas City for Mahomes to, to take that job outside of maybe the last few weeks of the season. But are there any other quarterback camp yeah. battles that are interesting to you? Any predictions about what's sure. going on um, otherwise around the league? Well, and not just camp battles, because, look, I think that Kessler should be considered the favorite in Cleveland. But what we hear about Kaiser in camp and what we see in the preseason will inform how early they make that move or the the fresh the threshold for how much does Kessler have to disappoint before they make the move. So I I think that we're watching, and I, I think it's always important to watch when there's been a change of regime. Mm-hmm. So the Bills sure seemed reluctant to keep Tyrod Taylor. They basically gave him a pay cut, a small pay cut. But, I mean, look, they... they it seemed like, based on reports and based on how they handled it, that there was some dissension among the ranks. And Nathan Peterman, who's an entirely different kind of quarterback, was their draft pick, even though he was a later pick. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how Taylor is adjusting to what Rick Dennison's doing, which I actually think he can do some, some good things as a mobile quarterback, take some of the thinking out for him, put him on the move, use his mobility, bootlegs. You know, We saw what that Shanahan system did for guys like Jake Plummer and Brian Greasy back in the day. Uh, but I, I, I think that Jake, that Tyrod Taylor is not a sure thing to finish the end of the, the year as the starter there. I think that um, in Jacksonville, Blake Bortles is not a sure thing to finish the year as a starter. Maybe Brandon Allen is a name to remember, a more cerebral quarterback, not so much a toolsy quarterback, but they just want a game manager with Leonard Fournette and the defense they have. And the Rams, the Rams and and Jared Goff. Um, And this is one of the things I love about two quarterback Superflex leagues, because, yeah, Sean Mannion, it matters. I mean, every starting quarterback matters in these leagues, every single one. And they're saying some positive things about Jared Goff, but if you read between the lines, Sean McVay has talked about how we're going to play the quarterback that gives us the best chance to win. Sean McVay has no investment personally in Jared Goff. Uh, So I think that watching what happens over the summer could be the precursor of harbinger of what's going to happen in these situations with new regimes trying to decide what to do with quarterback situations that they inherited. And in Jacksonville's case, they didn't really add anybody uh, in the Rams case either. Uh, But in Buffalo's case, they do have somebody they picked. And of course the Texans. And I think that Tom Savage has to be considered the incumbent and probably, probably, I don't know, 85, 90, 95% week one starter, but who knows how long. And it all, again, it depends on what Deshaun Watson can show in camp and in the preseason, we're going to be parsing those coach comments very carefully. And then Denver. And one of the interesting things about Denver is how different these quarterbacks are. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, Mike McCoy with Trevor, Trevor Simeon makes kind of if he's going to go to more wide receiver screens, uh, extension of the coach just execute. I think it's Simeon. Paxton Lynch offers a lot more as a mobile quarterback, a lot more as a deep passer, but he's not always going to just execute the play the way it's drawn up on the chalkboard. Uh, and then you have Chad Kelly. Ha! And, you know, we didn't talk about Chad Kelly in terms of the Blue 100 rookie drafts, but Chad Kelly, from a fantasy standpoint, is also an outstanding athlete, uh, also an outstanding arm talent. If you just watch his tape... He belongs in the conversation with those first four quarterbacks. I think he does. Maybe, you know, we can have a longer discussion about that. So if neither of Lynch or Simeon distinguish themselves, not so much for this year because Kelly's got a billion surgeries and has to heal up, but for next year, if Chad Kelly can keep himself together, which is a whole other thing, um, that's something to watch. So watching the Denver situation, you'd love to see one of these guys distance himself from the other with Lynch and Simeon. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we need to watch about Watch out for Chad Kelly uh, in 2018. Yeah, let's dig a little deeper on him because he's not a guy we've talked about much in the podcast. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that Lynch and Semyon are both limited quarterbacks in what they offer, and, and they're limited in different ways to the point where you're not going to get a, a complete game from either of them necessarily You know, on, on average. So tell, tell us more about what you like about sure. Kelly, what you've seen from him in your analysis, and, and what he – what he could bring to the table as a fantasy asset. Well, I did a, a film room with the great Matt Waldman, the great. And if you're in two mm-hmm. quarterback leagues, if you're in any kind of dynasty fantasy league, you need to be getting the RSP. Um, we did a, a film room on him, and I kind of went in cold. And what shocked me was how comfortable Chad Kelly was in the pocket and engaging defenses from the pocket. And patiently, you don't see very many college quarterbacks, even the best college prospects, this comfortable, like almost preferring to sit in the pocket with chaos around him, negotiate the pocket, and use his arm strength, use his field vision, use his willingness to throw into small windows to defeat a defense. And this, these are SEC defenses. He's, in, he's the kind of quarterback that sees positive outcomes to create instead of negative outcomes to avoid. The, the idea being, I think, that you want, you want to have a quarterback have to dial it back a little bit than to have a nerve transplant in the NFL. Chad Kelly has no problem challenging defenses to the point where sometimes he makes some plays that you want back because he tries to do some things maybe that he shouldn't. But to me, that's a positive indicator in the NFL, especially when you've beaten Alabama. Boxer's mentality. Yeah, especially when you've been the MVP of the Sugar Bowl. And the other thing we're looking for, again, who's the next Dak Prescott? You know, Maybe we only have to to stay in Mississippi because he elevated his program— he took Ole Miss to the Sugar Bowl and was the MVP of the game. He beat Alabama, almost did it twice. And look, we may look back and him being Mr. Irrelevant and the league kind of writing him off as the right thing because there are well-documented personality issues. But if those things, and some of the personality issues to me map, again, to the quarterbacks are supposed to be egomaniacs. Quarterbacks are supposed to be like a hair-trigger temper about things, you know? They're intense dudes. I mean, it's not it's not it's not a a low key profession to be a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, just look at every time Tom Brady or uh, Philip Rivers throws an interception; those guys are screaming hell, like hell on the uh, sidelines. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. So there's there's something to be said about that. You can't teach confidence necessarily, no. and that goes a long way for such a a demanding position. Absolutely. Aside from the off the field stuff and injury concerns, are there any other critiques you have of his game? Well, no, just just that he does. He tries to do too much sometimes, but then sometimes he'll do. He's the classic no, 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 yes quarterback, <laughs> you know, because he tr- he tries things and he and often it will work. He gives his guys chances to make plays, but there's so little that he thinks he can't do. Hmm. Uh, so that's something that he'll have to learn in practice. But we can look back on a lot of quarterbacks that we've liked, and I don't, I'm not comparing him to Brett Favre, okay. But Brett Favre was a quarterback to the end of his career that was still doing that. So, Absolutely. And I'll throw up a link to the film room session you did with Waldman in the show notes as well. I, I have watched that, and that's that's a good one for sure. Um, I want to circle back to Tyrod Taylor and the Bills. Um, a little bit of a springboard here into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is your QB brain dump article at Football Guys. And in that article, you note that Tyrod has a tough opening schedule. And on your most recent On the Couch podcast with Matt Williamson, you mentioned Peterman as 
Tyrod's potential in season replacement. And you kind of glossed over Cardale Jones. And that was curious to me. I understand that the regime is different, but are, are you confident that Peterman gets the first shot? Um, and if Jones does get to play, what would you expect from him in fantasy? Yeah, and I really shouldn't have because I was a big fan of Cardell Jones at Ohio State. And Matt Waldman and I actually watched the the national title game he won together in Las Vegas. And I remember there was a debate about him coming out in the draft at that point. But what he showed in those three games on the way to the national title, again, like no lack of nerve, no lack of leadership and things like that. So he would obviously offer some running ability, maybe not quite as much athleticism, but just that pure size. And again, the will to put his body on the line. Uh, and obviously Cardell Jones from a fantasy standpoint would be interesting. And whether it's Jones or Peterman, uh, there's an opportunity there for a long-term opening at quarterback uh, in Buffalo. So I shouldn't have glossed over him, but I do really think that Cardell Jones, even though, I mean, who was it Doug? I think it was Doug Whaley that was saying like, Oh, you know, I think we might have our guy. Well, Doug Whaley's not with the team anymore. Yeah. Um, I won't be shocked if he doesn't make the final roster. I won't be shocked. I'm not saying, book it, he's not going to make the final roster. I, I'm saying he has to win that roster spot. So that's part of the reason I glossed him over. It does have to do with the regime. It does have to do also, I, I, I think that just Nathan Peterman is so different than Cardell Jones, so different than Tyrod Taylor. It tells me that that's the direction they want their offense to go. Yeah, I think above all, Taylor's been kind of proven doubting doubters wrong for a while now and I, I think it's difficult for me to envision either Jones or Peterman leading them to more wins if one of them gets under center but like you said the the front office changes for Buffalo were drastic and I can buy that narrative of a sort of you know house cleaning before rebuilding I think that kind of makes sense too when you consider the the stature of the Patriots in that division uh, it kind of reminds me of the NBA where like teams in the Eastern Conference right now aren't really incentivized to become contenders because LeBron James exists and yeah. he's playing at such a high level. Um, why not, you know, kind of take a back seat, let Tom Brady finish up his career and, and, you know, get some reps for your younger guys. So I think for Buffalo, it all comes down to winning. Like if the, if the Bills can stay competitive, I think Tyrod should be the guy. No questions asked. He'll be the starter all year. But, you know, once they're out of the playoff picture and, and you noted their tough opening schedule, I think, you know, if they get off to a slow start as soon as they're out of contention, all bets are off. I could see Peterman getting the call because he's the younger and more unknown commodity. Uh, I could see Cardell getting the, the call as well. Um, I'm kind of fascinated to see how that plays out. That's that's going to be really interesting. Um, anything else on the Bills aside from quarterbacks you want to touch on? Well, there's a... And I think for the Rams, we have to factor this in, too, that just the ding-dong, the witch is dead factor yes. of no Rex Ryan anymore. And how much does Rex Ryan, ask Jets fans, how much does Rex Ryan hold back an offense? Uh, and potential for you know Sammy Watkins being healthy all year, lifting this team, and then maybe by the time we're finished recording, or maybe by the time you're listening to this, Jamie sure, Macklin, Macklin could be a Bill. So uh, some, some potential there for the Bills' offensive outlook to change greatly from last year. Yep. Uh, let's move over to, to your hometown, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, in the brain dump, you noted Ben Roethlisberger's returning weapons and a positive schedule outlook. His basement is always going to be health dependent, um, but what's his ceiling? He's currently the QB 13 in our redraft ADP. Do, do you see him outperforming that? Yeah, well, when he's at home. Um, <laughs> I, you know, the, 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 the splits. But also, you know, how rare has it been? I asked this question this morning um, it's only once in the last two years, and I think 11 times in the last three years, that it's been Ben, Bell, Brown, and Bryant on the field mm -hmm. together. And I don't know. You could run the fantasy numbers. I don't know what they are. But obviously, that's pretty good to have that foursome out there. And remember also that the Steelers have one of the best offensive lines in the league. So depending on the opponent, we've seen this. Like Roethlisberger can put up five or six touchdowns in a game. Um, and especially in two quarterback superflex leagues where your weekly ceiling might be a little more important than avoiding. You'll take more ceiling along with more floor if you have to because it can give you that knockout punch. He can give you that. So quarterback 13, especially in those leagues where you're going to start two quarterbacks, that's very attractive. And you, you take the good, you take the bad. With the you Take them both in there, you have the facts of life. But you also have a quarterback that in any given week can be the number one fantasy quarterback of the week. And with as long as, I say this as a Steelers fan cringing, as long as Bell, Brown, and Bryant are on the field, this is a mismatch nightmare for opposing defenses. The one thing that has changed is the second half of the year last year, um, Keith Butler 
incorporated more blitzing and the defense got better. They created a lot more pressure uh, because what the other part of this recipe was a bad defense. Uh, and now, you know, some of the young defensive backs are coming along. They've had a few, you know, Bud Dupree, if he can stay healthy, is going to give them more pass rush. I think that their defense might not get them into quite as many shootouts as they have in years past. But again, Ben Roethlisberger at home, we even saw this last year without Bryant. Uh, it gives you almost every time he's at home, number one quarterback of the week upside. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you kind of point out that the defense is getting better because that's been my understanding of Roethlisberger's fantasy game over the past couple of years is, and it might not even be as related to home road as it is just to, the type of opponent they're playing week to week. And if they can get away with running Le'Veon Bell, you know, 25, 30 times a game and, you know, letting Ben take his foot off the gas pedal and is take a back seat per se, I've, I've seen, you see a lot of those games from him where the, the passing production just isn't there because they don't need it to be there. The running game is so good uh, with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Roethlisberger has scored over 18 points per game each of the past three seasons. Admittedly, that is trending down. It's like been less year after year. But of the quarterbacks to play every year since 2012, he has the fifth best floor in terms of uh, percentage of games where he finishes in the top 20 at the position, um, 67 point, or 66.7%, two-thirds of his games uh, since 2012. Um, at worst, over the course of a season, that's how, that's how often he's going to finish in the top 20. That's ahead of Brady, that's ahead of Rivers, that's ahead of Ryan, Wilson, Stafford, and most other QBs, all but you know four guys. Um, the flip side is that percentages don't mean that much uh, with Ross Roethlisberger because he's only played a full season in two of those five years. Uh, the raw numbers aren't always there, and that's that's it. You talked about it. It's it's floor versus ceiling, and um, I, I'm I'm in on Roethlisberger because, like you said, I think you have to take the optimistic approach right now, considering the weapons that are returning and that are supposedly going to be there for the whole year. I, I have him, you know, right outside that tier one B of quarterbacks, mm -hmm. like behind Russell Wilson, Cam Newton. Uh, I think that he's right there with, you know, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford um, in, in that second group of guys. Generally, I think that that group of quarterbacks tends to be overdrafted. We talked about that on the last episode with Josh and Sal. Uh, but if Roethlisberger is sliding to QB 13, I think that's an immense value. And I think that you should, you should be pouncing on him in that range. Um, along with a lot of the other QBs who have been, kind of pushed down ADP by some of the, the younger guys who are getting a lot of hype like Winston and Mariota. Let's move on to the Chargers here. And this isn't necessarily a quarterback-specific question, but I'm more curious about their wide receiver situation and what you think uh, or how you think that's going to play out. Does their pick of Mike Williams make you worry about, you know, less opportunity for Keenan Allen or any of the other wideouts? Do you think, you know, Phillip Rivers is going to be able to support all these guys, or are there going to be some odd men out? You're right to start with Rivers in the sense that um, you should be optimistic about Rivers and because the offensive line will be improved because, remember, the second half of the year last year, he had zero out of his top three wide receivers healthy. Uh, Benjamin was battling a knee, uh, Williams a shoulder, and he, Allen was out. Um so you've got those three guys returning healthy. Keenan Allen's already had a schedule. Um, I think that Travis Benjamin did have his uh, knee issue surgically repaired. And then, of course, you've got Hunter Henry another year under his belt, Antonio Gates. Even in a smaller role, it's going to be a high leverage, as uh, my friend Gene Bramwell, Dr. Gene, would say, a high leverage role, or third downs, red zone situations, things like that. So you really have, with Mike Williams now in the picture, six quality targets. And Dontrell Inman's not bad either. A lot of teams would love right. to have a Dontrell Inman as their fourth or fifth wide receiver, uh, who you know, he always seems to come through when they need him at the end of the year. So if all these guys are healthy, the pie gets bigger for Philip Rivers. And it's another one of these quarterbacks, like you said, getting pushed down by the by the Winston Mariota cars of the world, maybe unnecessarily, and, and you can profit from that. Um, but the slices of the pie have to get smaller. I mean, there was a point with Keenan Allen to going into last year where we're looking at him potentially as a 130-catch guy. If you just look at his splits from the year before and you wondered going into last year, well, who's going to be in his way to keep him from doing that? Well, now there's a lot of guys in his way. You know, we see Tyrone Williams yes. make that big step. Travis Benjamin's a good wide receiver. Now you have Mike Williams. So Keenan Allen asking him to perform at a third-round level is probably a lot. Um, but then I think you look at some of the ADPs of the other receivers. If anything, maybe it's Mike Williams being overdrafted because of rookie hype. And also, he's, and look, we're splitting hairs here, but he's already missing OTAs with the back issue. And when you already have three good wide receivers – 
it's going to be more difficult to displace them if you're, you're not getting every possible opportunity to show the coach, the quarterback, what you can do and establish that chemistry. But Tyrell Williams, I'm seeing 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th round. Super undervalued. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, we may all draft Tyrell Williams, think we're geniuses, drafting him in the 13th, 14th <laughs> round, and then, and then drop him in week three when he has like two catches each of the first three weeks. That's fine. The guy coming off a 1,000-yard season in his second year as an undrafted free agent I'll I'll see what happens. Um, and even Travis Benjamin, who you know in your MFL tens is going undrafted in some cases. He's a quality starting wide receiver with Philip Rivers, a deep threat too. In MFL tens, that's almost unforgivable. Maybe again, he'll get one catch in the first two or three games, and and he'll be marginalized for Mike Williams. And look, Mike Williams is a good fit, by the way. I mean, we've seen this do. We've seen Rivers do this with Malcolm Floyd. You know, back shoulder throws, um, throws into tight windows, letting a receiver go up and get it. So I think it's a good fit. But I also think that Mike Williams is the kind of receiver that got by on massive physical advantages at Clemson that he maybe will still be bigger or uh, stronger than his opponent. But NFL cornerbacks know how to play those kinds of wide receivers. And I think he's got a growth curve. So I, I would probably still be inclined to throw draft picks at Williams, at Benjamin, Tyrell Williams, that is. And even the Antonio Gates, depending on your scoring system and how important tight ends are, because, again, even if he's only on the field for 20 plays, he might get five or six receptions in those 20 plays for a touchdown because the chemistry that he and Rivers has, that doesn't vanish. And uh, I, I think that it does all add up to good things for Rivers. And, and then something else I'll have to just say, too, is maybe Melvin Gordon doesn't get quite the opportunity he did last year. Brandon Oliver is going to be back too. That gives them a legitimate receiving back again as he stays healthy. So it's a very exciting team to look at though. Also on the defensive side and also just to look at the AFC West and think to yourself, one of these teams isn't going to make the playoffs. Um, maybe two. And uh, that that's something that can get you, start getting you fired up for when these teams start squaring off and, and just the, everything that unfolds as we watch the season. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about the Chargers defense. I've been drafting them and, as many MFL tens as I can get them at, and uh, that's that's a good transition to our listener questions. We didn't get a whole lot, so I threw in a couple of my own. And the first is one um, that I will base on MFL tens. This is uh, looking at the the Seahawks and Eddie Lacy, Russell Wilson, and Jimmy Graham all have ADPs within about nine picks of each other in that pick seventy to pick eighty range, um, according to Fantasy ADHD Josh Hornsby's um, MFL ten app, which is. Awesome. If oh, you're in MFL yes. 10s and you're not using that, you're you're throwing your money away. Um, so shout out to him. But of these guys in the Seattle offense, which of them are you drafting at that or at the, in that price range? Mostly Russell Wilson with some Eddie Lacy. Um, and the only reason I'm not taking as much Jimmy Graham as I wait around and get uh, Martellus Bennett. I think they have somewhat similar outlooks. Uh, and some of that is based on my belief that Tyler Lockett's going to be just fine. And I think if you look at the splits of Jimmy Graham with a healthy, somewhat healthy Tyler Lockett and without Tyler Lockett, it feels like there's only enough to go around uh, for one of the two of them to be consistent, a consistent fantasy force. And Lockett's also going way later. Uh, Eddie Lacy, I think Lacy comes in as the starter. Uh, I think Lacy comes in as the, the first option at the goal line if it's a running play. Uh, I think that what we forget about Eddie Lacy is he played pretty well last year. Uh, he wasn't fat Eddie, at least you know he didn't look, have that sluggish look he did two years ago. Uh, he was very efficient, and he wasn't what he was three years ago, but he was a good NFL running back before he got hurt last year. And even with Seattle's offensive line, which is a, you know questionable, um, with Russell Wilson and with what this passing game can offer, I do think that Eddie Lacy maybe isn't going to make your draft, but if you take your number one running back in the first or second round and then you sit back and you take a running back in the sixth or seventh round that is your first best shot at a number two, but you're going to take some other backs later on to see what happens. I think Eddie Lacy's fine there. I think Russell Wilson is a, a screaming value, especially in MFL 10s, but even in, in redraft leagues, I, I will be inclined to take Russell Wilson in a lot of leagues. It's just a short-term memory thing. Yes. He was hurt for half of the year. And once he wasn't hurt, he, he went he crazy. Was he was fine. Yeah. yeah. He was the number three fantasy quarterback. In week, going into week nine after they lost to the Saints, Pete Carroll said, we'll, uh, we're going to unleash him. He's healthy again. He probably wasn't even totally healthy at that point, but probably healthy enough. <laughs> he was the number three fantasy quarterback through week 16 
at from that nine to sixteen. I think he was a top five quarterback in five out of those eight weeks. He had two nightmarish games on the road at Tampa and at Green Bay, um, or else he probably would have been. Number, no one was going to be better than Aaron Rodgers in the second half of the year last year. But I, I think Russell Wilson is is a player that is not getting the respect that he deserves because it's you know when players have slumps and we know why, then I mean. Do we think that Russell Wilson's just not very durable? Do we think that his playing style is going to expose him to these kinds of injuries? I haven't seen an indication of that so far in his career. I think that 2016 will be the aberration, and his his game and his production will continue to grow. Yeah, it's almost the opposite of the phenomenon we saw with Mike Williams last year. where Through the magic of editing, I can tell you that I meant to say Mike Evans, not Mike Williams. Everybody knew the touchdown regression was coming. Whereas here with Wilson, no one is willing to kind of admit that last year might have just been an off year. And I'm with you. He's my QB3 in redraft. I have him ahead of everybody except for Rodgers and Luck for fantasy. Um, in terms of MFL 10s, I've ended up with all of these guys a little bit. Yeah. Um, Lacey is probably the guy I've drafted the most often because he's a really good target for those um, you know late slots where you end up. There's, I feel like there's more incentive if you get a late draft pick in an MFL 10 to take that. I mean, I'm not going to call it zero RB absolutely, but to emphasize the wide receiver a little more heavily in the early rounds and then try to find running back value later. And I think that Lacey represents that pretty well. I, I love that you brought up Lockett too. He's a guy that I think is also getting a bit of a bum rap, although I do worry that Paul Richardson could eat into his time a little bit um what do you think about Richardson well he what we saw at the end of the year last year was you know finally getting some return on that first round draft pick and it's another reason to like Wilson yes uh the, the depth of the targets that he has um but I think that Tyler Lockett again he was healthy at the beginning of the year making big plays he was not healthy for most of the year then he was healthy at the end of the year making big plays and then he got hurt again now I can't discount the possibility that what it was a compound tibia fracture I mean maybe he won't get all the way back from that. I'll take my chances. Uh, so, But Paul Richardson looks like an excellent player. And from a dynasty standpoint, you want to know where is he playing two years from now? Because his rookie contract will be up. Um, but you saw some of the plays he was making at the end of the year after Lockett went out, that there's a lot of talent there despite his two big knee injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I'm a little bit higher than you on Jimmy Graham. I, I just I still can't get over the fact that he probably still has top three yeah, tight end upside, which you can't say for a lot of the guys who are going where he's being drafted. But let's let's keep going. The next question is from uh, Jason Baker at Jason Baker fifty four on Twitter, and he's asking about Cam Newton. He says he ran at career lows last season after injuries, and he wonders, do they run him less to protect him and use their running backs more? Yeah, and by the way, I want to say I want to echo one thing you said about um, at fantasy ADHD about Josh's uh, a lot of things he does. He was actually the one who chimed in when I asked about the four big Steelers playing together. Um, it's fantastic, fantastic follow, fantastic contributions to our community. Uh, so Cam Newton, it really started in game one against Denver. You know, they kept hitting him high, rattle him a little bit. And then he had the concussion in week four. And then he, he hurt his shoulder late in the season. Uh, and it, it was just one of those years where everything went wrong, really, uh, from a physical standpoint. And I think from a mental standpoint, he started to lose his edge. And certainly when you have a concussion in season, you're going to dial it back a little bit to protect your quarterback. Um, I don't expect that they'll go into this season with a, an altered approach to any other season because of what happened last season. And I do think also with the addition of Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel, you have short passing options that they did not have. That should help Cam Newton not take as many hits, not be in harm's way as often. And, you know, this is just, we get to quarterbacks, and this is where that thing, you know, where one quarterback leads can kind of be boring because I think there's an argument that Aaron Rodgers is a value. I think there's an argument, even as quarterback one, I think there's an argument that Wilson is a value. I think there's an argument that Luck is a value. He's falling to quarterback four or five. I think there's an argument for waiting on Rivers or Roethlisberger or Andy Dalton or even Eli Manning or uh, I mean you, just you can go, name so many more guys. That's the sad yeah, part. That's why right. we need two QBs. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Oh, Sid gets the equalizer. Got and it's one. one, one. And it's one one. Nashville scored, but I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> and Sid and Sid just tied it up about a minute later. That's toughness. That's mental toughness for you. Uh, so yeah, Cam Newton, mental toughness. How you like that transition? Um, I think he's going to be tested again. But I think that uh, Mike. I trust Mike Shula to actually. I think they had a plan 
when they took McCaffrey and Samuel, and it's going to be one to help Cam Newton. Uh, he, his rushing attempts may go down a little bit. His rushing touchdowns may go down a little bit, but I'm not worried about that because I think that you have a lot more interesting offense for him to play with, a more creative offense for him to play with. And if Cam Newton's there as the eighth, ninth, tenth quarterback, then he's an excellent guy to look at. Yeah, based on the moves that Carolina made, it certainly seems like they're heading in the direction where they want him to run a little bit less. But when they have all these extra weapons, that's going to open up the field for him to you know, selectively rush more and, and probably do it at a higher efficiency. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how Newton himself is willing to adapt or change his game to a, a new sort of scheme or, or style of play. He's been a relatively run-heavy quarterback for his entire career. I don't think we really know what he it's going to look like when he scales that back and, mm-hmm. and starts to pass from the pocket more. I'm really interested to see how that Carolina offense plays out this year. Let's move to another one of my fake reader questions, uh, and I'm wondering about Dennis Pitta. Uh, After he re-injured his hip, how are you approaching that tight end core for the Baltimore Ravens in fantasy? Because it seems like there's a lot of value to be had there. You know, Flacco has relied on his tight ends in the red zone for a long time. Could be a nice opportunity, but we're looking at Max Williams, Ben Watson, potentially Crockett Gilmore, all of which, you know, to this point have been free in drafts. But I I don't know. How are you approaching these guys? What are you doing? Um... Are you avoiding them? Are you drafting them? Um, where are you at? Well, in, in the classic league, at MFL 10 or something like that, I'm not drafting any Baltimore tight ends. But I love playing in deep league, 16-team leagues. I love playing in tight end premium leagues, uh, even leagues where you start two tight ends. Uh, so I'm interested, and I'll run down the best I can here. And first of all, I want to say that what Dennis Pitta did, and as spectators of football as people who see these players as representing commodities we sometimes can be too distant from the human side of the game but for Dennis Pitta to suffer this injury twice and come all the way back and be a, a very productive important player for his team last year is a testament to him you know Tim Hightower is another player I'd say you know James Harrison you know Lance Moore these stories of these players that really when the universe is trying to tell them it's not going to happen for you say no it is and make it happen um, and then to have that injury happen again, you know, just uh, you, you feel for the guy um, really because, you, you know, Greg, it's not like while we're doing this podcast that my vocal cord might give out uh, and we can't do podcasts anymore ever I again. Hope, I hope something. that doesn't happen. You know, yeah, that would be, it would be it would certainly make this an interesting one to listen to again. But my point is, you know, these guys are laying it all out there. It really, their careers on the line. Um, and that's part of what makes this game so compelling and you know I, I just want to tip my cap to him uh crockett gilmore's a good player i think crockett gilmore's the best natural receiver out of these guys he cannot stay healthy he had multiple surgeries in the offseason i think that also this is one of those cases where as it is tight ends a brutal position these guys suffer so many injuries right. Tough as god um, but i think that his style of play also i just i'm not optimistic about him staying healthy although if he if he's healthy, he's the best of the bunch. Ben Watson is reliable, but he's coming back from an Achilles late in his career. Uh, it's really hard to know how much he can get back. Max Williams is is the big wild card here where I liked him a lot at Minnesota. Came out as a 20-year-old, so you're projecting even more upside for him. A, a guy with a lot of athleticism, but also some physical and mental toughness. But now we hear this latest thing that he had a very rare knee surgery. I don't want to hear rare <laughs> when we're talking about injuries or surgeries in the NFL. And then I guess the name, other name we have to toss out here is Darren Waller. Oh, yeah. Now, now there's some talk that Waller could be moved back to wide receiver with their wide receiver issues. He, and this is another team that by the time you're listening to this, Jeremy Macklin could be a Baltimore Raven. I don't know. Darren Waller's another one of these Georgia Tech size speed guys. Uh, obviously, he's not Calvin Johnson or Demaryius Thomas, but he's in that mold. And they were successfully converting him to tight end. He, he had some red zone targets he converted last year. He was getting used to the position. He's the most interesting in terms of a fantasy skill set translating to tight end. So uh, th- this is a, a wonderful story to be watching during camp and the preseason, even OTAs, uh, keeping in mind, of course, that you know it's a very sad one for Dennis Pitta. Yeah, and I, I'm mostly intrigued by Max Williams myself for the reasons you outlined, the fact that, you know, Watson and Gilmore are, you know, aging and dealing with their own health issues. It seems like the table is set for Williams to come in and eat if he's ready. Um, whether he is or not is, is something else. So I think that when you're drafting and you are looking to maybe pick one of these guys, you should probably, if you play in a large enough number of leagues, diversify between them. I wouldn't necessarily go all in on one or the other. I mean, the caveat is that, 
you know, this could become a situation that's reminiscent of CJ Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin last year with the Texans, where none of them have value or or it's hard to predict their value week to week. Yeah, I think it makes this situation more appealing for best ball. But there, yeah. there is some value that can be mined here for redraft and dynasty. I think, and it's, I would just say the the waiver wire speed dial. Yes. You know, it may clarify itself in week two or week three, and by then everyone who drafted one will have dropped whoever they drafted, and then you swoop in there because it could be a high volume for, for you know it could be an injury that causes the dam to break for somebody, or it could be uh, you know Williams or Waller just showing they're ready for for the increased role. Well, and the Ravens have thrown more than any any other team over the past couple of years, I could easily see this being a situation where that volume gets dialed back a little bit. The tight ends are used more for as blockers and we see the receivers kind of take that step up Richard Perriman, maybe Chris Moore, maybe Michael Campanaro. Like yes. there's a lot of unknown in that offense. And I think that makes it, it's fascinating from a fantasy perspective, but boy, is it frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, Last question. This is from Steve Andress at Steve underscore Andress on Twitter. And he asks, what's your Twitter avatar, Sigmund? Yeah, it is Sigmund the Sea Monster. And I get an opportunity to say this more and more every year. Most of you are probably too young to remember this. I'm even a little bit too young to remember. I was born in 75, so it was, you know, Sid and Marty Croft a little bit even before my time. But there were reruns, and a lot of people knew about Sigmund and the Sea Monsters back then. Uh, and as a kid growing up, they say, Sigmund, more than Freud, I'd get Sigmund, Sigmund and the Sea Monster. Sigmund the Sea Monster uh, was a sea monster who would not scare people, got thrown out of the sea monster cave, and went to live in a treehouse with uh, a kid. And that's an awesome and, – and, and, and really look up the – and I think that Amazon maybe rebooted this show in the last year or so. And look up the, some of the storylines. Some of the storylines are fantastic. Like, I think he falls in love with like the neighborhood dog and things like this. Uh, just a, a wonderful character to share a name with. And really it wasn't premeditated. I, I love Twitter because I love the sound of my own voice. I love the sound of my own fingers clacking on the keyboard. And, um, you know, it just – it stood out. Um, it reminds you of my name if you know about it. And if you don't, you want to know. And uh, um, I'm, I'll never – and I get this question all, not quite as often as what is that, but but I get it a lot. <laughs> will you ever change it? No. No, I will not. And I always appreciate the opportunity to spread the word about Sigmund the Sea Monster. Stay strong, Sigmund. Yeah. Don't ever change. No. Oh. Hey, do you have anything else you want to get to? Uh, do you want to ask me any questions? I, I don't know. I'm, I've been kind no. of rambling at you this no. whole time, but I, I know you got a Penguins game to watch, and I, I want to get into the other room and start watching it myself. But sure. anything else you got before we, we wrap this thing up? No, this is just a wonderful time. I mean, it's been great doing uh, podcasts for the last couple of weeks, just as everybody, the, the petals of the flowers opening. Um, we're all excited about football, like so much for our minds to chew on already before camps even get here. Um, and again, all the, the folks at your site, Scott, um, you know, it's just the names that have come up in this show, uh, Josh ADHD, like fancy ADHD people, everyone doing so much to continue to forward this stimulating distraction, obsession, uh, and, and this wonderful community where everybody helps each other just on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and also uh, we pull together when we need to, and I'm just really pleased to get to be part of it in any way. Yeah, well, I want to thank you for for sharing your time with me, with the community, and um, with thank the audience for sharing their time with us, listening to this. So, um, a couple quick things, housekeeping before we go. Sega, I, I I appreciate you you getting on here with me. If you need to take off and and go scream at the TV, go for it. Um, but yeah, rate and review the podcast if you would, dear listeners. Uh, if you do, you will be entered in for a chance to win a copy of the Two QBs Draft Guide. Sal is still running a, a giveaway contest for his spot in the Scott Fishbowl. So, you know, Sig and I talked a lot about that at the beginning of the episode. If you want to play in the SFB, this is one way you can get in. So you just need to uh, make a, a small donation to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, uh, $5 or more. Um, it's I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's a, a tweet that, that Sal has saved here. It's his pinned tweet if you go to his Twitter, at 2QBFFB. But make a small donation, take a screenshot, send it to 2QBs on Twitter or 2QBs at gmail.com, and uh, you'll be entered in to win Sal's spot in the SFB. So, um, I mean, there's really nothing to lose. It goes to hope help a really good cause um, and, and one that's important when it comes to, you know, being a football fan. I think something that's important, and you talked about the community, and there's been a lot of great work like Fantasy Cares, um, No Kid Hungry. I'm, I'm doing a, a charity auction draft for, for that um, organization right now. This stuff is important, and this is what lets us kind of contend or, or 
rally against some of the, the stuff about the NFL or football that maybe we don't like. And we can still enjoy our game and use that as a, a positive force of change. And I, I think that Sal's giveaway here is, is a great example of that. So be sure to uh, do that. I already gave you the Twitter handle, the Gmail account. So, um, yeah, get at us with any sort of questions for the podcast or otherwise. We're always uh, here to interact with you guys and answer whatever questions you have. So um, thanks again for, for joining us on this episode. Thank you again, Sigmund, for, for being the guest. Um, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing where, where the offseason continues to take us. Uh, football, you know, opening day will be here before we know it, right? Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. All right. Thanks again. Adios, everybody. Adios, everybody.